We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Well, welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you. Hour number two of the show will sound a little like the first hour, just two different guests than we had at 10 o'clock, including Buffalo native Dave Leventhal. Dave, it's Bill's game day. Thank you so much for taking time out of your pregame ritual to join us. Yeah, you're you're lucky uh, this wasn't a 12 o'clock show. You know, the, the Labats would have been open uh, at that point uh, with the wings on their way. So. A few tables would have already been destroyed. Hey, yeah, we got them up back, ready to go. All right, Dave, it's it's a big, there's a lot to talk about politics. I mean, seriously, we could probably carry you until the game and not get to everything going on in D.C. We've got the Supreme Court. We've got the election. But we've got a debate on Tuesday. Now, this is a debate that you still have members of one party saying their candidate shouldn't partake in. It, it's, <laughs> you know, we say this every four years, oh, this debate is going to be unlike any we've ever had in history. It's <laughs> high stakes. I mean, this one kind of blows them all out of the water. And uh, it, it's been building for quite literally a couple of years right now. Uh, Donald Trump's been running for president of the United States since the day of his inauguration. So he's been in full-on candidate mode really for three and a half, uh, going on four years right now. Joe Biden's been the Democratic nominee we've known effectively since March, and the two of them have just been going at it constantly, especially the president toward Joe Biden, uh, for months right now. So this, of course, is the first opportunity that we get to see them both together on the same stage, 90 minutes. And, uh, yeah, I think we can fully expect that there are going to be no holds barred, even if uh, Chris Wallace, uh, the Fox News host, uh, who's going to be moderating this debate, is going to try to keep it reined into a, a few, six actually, issues of the Supreme Court, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, racial issues, election integrity, the economy. But th- this could spiral out of control very easily. Chris Wallace has a very, very tall task in, ahead of him here. Yeah, it's really an unenviable job, I think, Dave. And I just saw something on Radio.com within the last hour about how the president is urging, as he called him again, sleepy Joe Biden to take a drug test before and after the debate. And he said he, too, would do the same. Uh, <laughs> it, it sounds like things are ramping up already. They, they, they sure are. And uh, are the candidates going to be taking drug tests? No. Is this something Donald Trump has said before? Yes, and he even suggested back in 2016 that Hillary Clinton take a, a drug test. So, look, with Donald Trump, when it comes to debates, nothing is off limits for him. I mean, this is a 
candidate in 2016 who, in the course of a Republican primary debate, talked about the size of his genitalia, if you remember. And this is a candidate who, during a presidential debate, brought people to Hillary Clinton, the, the Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump debate uh, in 2016, and, and Donald Trump brought women who had accused Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct. Uh, and so, you know, nothing is really going to be off the table here. In a way, Brenda, Joe Biden's biggest rival during this debate, this first debate, and perhaps all three debates that are going to be conducted, his biggest rival isn't Donald Trump. Joe Biden's biggest rival is Joe Biden. We know that Donald Trump is going to come after Joe Biden in every which way that he possibly can. He's going to accuse him of being Sleepy Joe. He's going to say that he has a low IQ or might, that he's been stuck in his basement for the past many months, and in that, hey, he's taking performance-enhancing drugs, as we just talked about. So, all of this put together, the question is for Joe Biden, is he going to take the bait? Is he going to get down and dirty with Donald Trump and, and fight him punch for punch? Or is he going to try to take a different tack? And what we know is that Joe Biden, in his debate preparation, has tried to, or his debate, uh, the people who are doing debate preparation for Joe Biden are trying to inoculate him against those types of attacks, particularly attacks that may be against his family. Donald Trump loves to talk about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, as somebody who he feels is corrupt and, and has done dirty deeds and dirty deals. And uh, Joe Biden is very protective of his family. Well, will be a very curious moment if that comes up. Yeah, Dave, because Democrats and people in the Biden campaign, they have to be the most scared because Donald Trump, you know what the president's going to say, right? I mean, there's nothing new, the president, uh, the way he handles himself at debates. But Joe Biden, we've already seen in this early campaign. uh, Well, I guess it's not as early now. With COVID, it just seems like time uh, paused. So I feel like we're still in the primaries. Um, But in Joe Biden's campaign, he's already had a few times where he's, uh, let's say, gone off script in an interview. And it's something that he's then had to come back and, uh, you know, make up for or apologize for. So that's probably their number one thing is, hey, just let Trump do Trump, but don't fall for it. Right. And and Joe Biden, I mean, he's very prone to screw-ups. He's very prone to gas. Joe Biden sometimes says something that he wished he had a mulligan and that he could take it back. And he can't because it was just on national television or in this context in the midst of a national debate. So Joe Biden, in a way, is is just going to have to really be careful uh, if he's going to have a successful debate. He's going to have to choose his words carefully, but he's also going to have to show enough life so that he doesn't fall into the trap of, of being exactly what Donald Trump says he is, which is somebody who is low energy, somebody who <laughs> to really get up for the moment. And that's a, that's a fine line that Joe Biden is going to have to walk and He's got three shots at this, and this, of course, is going to be the the first opportunity for him to do so. But, uh, hey, first impressions are often the ones that stick. That's right. Dave, I got to ask you, how important in history, all right, look back at other debates, how important is the debate? Uh, Because I can just remember a few months before COVID, Joe Biden had an awful primary debate. I'm talking about the one where he gave his time back to the moderator, which you never see happen in a debate. So in the in the large scale, right, how how much do debates really change the polls? So the election is usually not won or lost on the basis of a debate. If just go back to 2016. Hillary Clinton widely was regarded as having three debate performances that were better than Donald Trump. Well, who won the election? <laughs> we know that answer. So if, uh, if it was all based on the debate, we, we'd have President Hillary Clinton and be having a very different conversation right now. But uh, obviously that, that did not come to pass. 
So uh, so that's one thing. Joe Biden isn't a great debater. Has he had decent debate performances? Yeah. He probably had a very good debate performance, maybe his best of uh, the primary season in his last debate against Bernie Sanders when it was just mano a mano. And it seems like he, uh, over the years, in fact, we Business Insider did an analysis of Joe Biden's debates going back 20 years and 30 years, in fact. And it seems like he does a better job overall when he's just got one opponent instead of five or ten or whatever the case may be uh, in the case of the primary. But uh, you can go back in history where debate moments, uh, you, you definitely have some really, really important moments that uh, do shake the electorate uh, up in a major way. And you can go back to maybe the you know 1960 presidential debate where Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy were debating each other. And uh, historians widely feel that uh, John F. Kennedy, the election may have swung to him in that incredibly close election because Richard Nixon just looked bad and wore a bad suit and was sick. And, you know, I mean, stuff like that does matter, but is going to matter enough to swing the election? I highly doubt it. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Dave, because uh, there is just an anniversary of the uh, Nixon-Kennedy debate. And, of course, as you mentioned, uh, everybody assumed it was going to be Nixon because of the debate. But if you saw what a difference it made because it was television that showed a very vibrant-looking JFK and, and uh, as you said, a, a sickly-looking Richard Nixon, who was probably sweating a lot. So the perception is unbelievable. Obviously, there was no Twitter or social media back in the day. Uh, and I think so much of that influences it, too. But uh, just to get into some of the the nuts and bolts about what you think the debate will focus on, will Corona be the number one thing, do you think, or will it be the economy or perhaps social unrest? How do you think that'll fall? Well, likely. And, and there's going to also, too, Brenda, be a, a Venn diagram uh, of those issues. Uh, the economy and the coronavirus pandemic, of course, are inextricably linked. Uh, race and violence uh, is very much going to be linked with, uh, you know, a lot of decisions that uh, Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden uh, have made or would make uh, as president. So in, in the context of that, expect that to come up. Election integrity uh, in the Supreme Court, those are two discrete issues that are going to come up in this debate uh, based on what we know from the moderator. But uh, the two of them could be very much linked depending on what happens in the election and uh, all the thoughts that uh, this is going to be a very close election, that the Supreme Court or courts would have to get involved. I mean, there quite literally have been dozens upon dozens of court cases and court decisions already at this point in the election, at the federal level, at the state level, that uh, you're looking at one of the most lawyered up elections in U.S. history, probably already the most lawyered up uh, election in U.S. history. And we haven't even had the election at this point. So, yeah, expect all of those issues to to really be at the front and center of this particular debate and some others, uh, as the environment uh, or various other issues may be waiting until the next debates or not even come up at all. Dave, what about the integrity? I'm sorry, Joe. What about the integrity of the election, where there's a lot of threats by President Trump saying, well, we'll just have to wait and see. And, uh, you know, there, there's a real outcry that seems to be building about that. And it's definitely unprecedented. Wouldn't you say, Dave, in all the years you've covered Washington? It, without question. And uh, that may be one area where Joe Biden gets particularly aggressive. Uh, the, the president, Donald Trump, has said lots and lots of things that are just I, you, you may love the president, but he said things about the election that just aren't true, uh, that, that they are factually incorrect. And Joe Biden is going to talk about that. I would suspect Chris Wallace, I, I suspect, is going to put that question to both of the candidates. I bet he'll say at some point, well, President Trump proved that there has been widespread election fraud. We'll see what the president said. 
Uh, he'll talk about mail-in ballots, I'm sure, you know, and uh, whether those are tantamount to uh, to fraudulent methods of voting. So, yes, uh, that issue I, I would absolutely expect to come up uh, in this debate uh, for a significant period of time. Probably not going to be the first one out of the gate. Coronavirus is going to be that, but but it'll come up. But, Dave, to be fair, there has been smaller incidents of voter fraud um, in the past elections. I, I can think of the Al Franken election where mail-in ballots just showed up one day and he became a senator. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's just my, my rebuttal to that. But Yeah, and, 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 and to be sure, I mean, every election in U.S. history has had some incident of, of voter fraud. It's a real thing. And, uh, anyone who says, oh, there's never voter fraud, they're, they're wrong. The, the question is scale. And right. Trump was talking about voter fraud in, in quite literally in terms of the millions of ballots. So he talked about that in 2016. He's, he said that that's going to be the case likely in, in 2020. There is no demonstrable evidence of that. Uh, it, there, there just isn't. Uh, so... You know, that's going to be a question that comes up uh, in the debate, and, and the scale of voter fraud is absolutely, I, I would suspect, be, be an issue that both candidates have to address. Now, Dave, let me ask you this, because this has been talked about a lot this week, the lid on Joe Biden's campaign. And I never knew what a lid was till this week, um, but that he's put to watch a, the West Wing, Joe. Yeah, I know. I know. I got to get on that. <laughs> but they've put a lid before noon so many days and you know a lot of talk that that's out of the usual but is that really out of the usual or is that just a candidate getting ready for a debate uh, it, it is out of the, the usual and in joe biden has absolutely had in modern presidential history the uh the the, the least out there kind of campaign that any democrat or republican has run during a general election uh, he just hasn't gone across the country much uh the, the charge that he's been stuck in his basement, well, he hasn't been in his basement all the time per se, but it, we get the point. I mean, Joe Biden has not been going, crossing the country and conducting rallies, and when he does, it's often not in front of an audience, and, and part of that, obviously, is the COVID-19 pandemic. Part of that, too, is strategy, and if Joe Biden is out there less making certain types of mistakes, well, that's going to be something that likely paid plays to his benefit while Donald Trump goes off and says whatever Donald Trump is going to say or do. So that the Democrats are definitely playing some strategic games here. There's no question about it. And for people who don't know exactly what a lid is, a lid is when we in the press, particularly the press who are covering Joe Biden physically, who are there with, uh, with the former vice president, and told by the campaign that there are not going to be any more public statements today or no planned public events, and, and that's it. You can pretty much, you know, go home. Uh, and, and that's very unusual uh, at best and extraordinary at worst, and is also stands in great contrast to Donald Trump, who's been pretty much for the past two months doing what Donald Trump loves to do, conducting rallies, crisscrossing the country. Mike Pence has been doing the same thing, other high-level surrogates. So Donald Trump is having a much more active uh, campaign when it comes to physically getting out there and doing the work of a campaign. Dave, I have two follow-ups that I'm going to ask as one question. Because you are in D.C., a man about town, uh, have you heard Democrats question Joe Biden and compare his campaign to the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign at all as lessons they need to learn? And you brought up uh, Donald Trump. He's campaigning. I've noticed a lot 
this week that people at his campaign rallies, especially those behind him, are all starting to wear masks. Do you think that was something they saw in polling? Is that something you heard Republicans criticizing the president for? I know it's a loaded follow-up question, but that's, that's what I got. Sure. Well, uh, your first question first, are Democrats concerned about Joe Biden? Yeah, they're concerned about Joe Biden. They want him to perform well, but they know his limitations. They know that sometimes he doesn't say the things that they are hoping for him to say and that he has a way of getting in his own way, which is why this debate is going to be such an important moment for Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs to prove that he's not all the things that Donald Trump says he is. And uh, so, so that is going to be uh, something important. I, I would note, too, that Donald Trump has, in a way, set the expectations so low for Joe Biden that, that there is a risk on, on the Trump side that by doing that, Joe Biden's going to show up at this first debate, you know, even have a decent performance. And people might be saying, oh, well, wait, Joe Biden, he, he seemed like he was awake and that he's not in his basement. He was there. He showed up. So, you know, very basics like that, which I, I think are important to note and to, to keep a Keep an eye on. Uh, as for the issue of masks, well, yeah, at some of the rallies, some people are wearing masks, other people are not. This has been kind of the, you know, the the strangest politicized issue maybe of the whole campaign as to whether to wear a mask or not. I mean, if you believe anything doctors say, it's that a mask can help prevent the spread of coronavirus. Okay, so you know, do you wear one or you don't with that information in mind? So, uh, but it's become very much a political issue. Donald Trump has been himself taken to, to wearing masks at, in some public events, but typically does not. So, yeah, whether that'll come up in the uh, debate as an issue, quite possibly, perhaps. We do know that the candidates themselves are not going to be wearing masks during the debate, nor is the moderator, and that's going to be a very small audience that's going to be social right. distance. So that's going to be the backdrop for the debate itself. I just noticed uh, this week, like the last three rallies, everyone behind the president had a mask on that said MAGA. I was just wondering if that was in reaction to something that was said by a leader of the party or maybe someone in Senate. Uh, but because early on, he was being criticized for people behind him not having masks on. And it seems like those last three rallies They've made sure everyone has a Trump MAGA uh, mask on behind them. You're absolutely right. And if, if you want to buy one on Donald Trump's website, you, you can, um, I think it's uh, 30 35 bucks, and make a donation and get one yourself. Uh, and, and definitely it's optics, it's visuals, it, it's uh, clearly what they want to have seen by people who are watching the rallies. And there are lots of people who don't believe that masks are necessary and that they shouldn't be mandated to wear one. A lot of other people feel differently. And look, people who are going to, a lot of people, <laughs> most Americans have made up their mind who they're going to vote for. They're either going to vote for Joe Biden or they're going to vote for Donald Trump. So the debate, these rallies, everything that we're going to see for the next five weeks is is not so much playing to people who have made up their mind as playing to people who are haven't made up their mind or are deciding to whether to vote or not vote, which is also a huge consideration right now. They may be a Trump supporter, but to say, ah, it's not worth my while, it doesn't matter, or vice versa, a Biden supporter and say, no, don't need to vote this time. And and that's an important thing, too. So visuals like that, that that's important stuff and oftentimes more important than we might even think. We're talking with Dave Leventhal from Business Insider. Dave's in D.C. And Dave, uh, speaking of masks, it was very interesting to see how Dr. Robert Redfield talked about masks being perhaps more important than a vaccine and the president repeatedly saying that he got it wrong. <laughs> Where do you think the truth lies in that one? Well, look, it's uh, no surprise that Donald Trump would be contradicting things that are being said by people in his own 
administration. That's been happening all throughout the, the pandemic, or there have been changes in, in the way that the president feels about any particular issue, whether it's vaccines or how long the virus is uh, going to, to be a, a concerning problem, uh, mass, you name it. Uh, so, yeah, and it, it, <laughs> you're talking about, uh, you know, one person in his administration, well, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others uh, have also, too, been in his crosshair. So it uh, oftentimes just depends on who uh, who has the platform, who has the stage, who has the podium. And uh, yeah, that, that's what happened this week. So not it's, shocking there. It's fascinating to me, though, how Joe Biden has been labeled as, you know, the gaffmeister here. And yet Donald Trump has said so many things that could be qualified as gaffes. And, and as you pointed out just a moment ago, consistently contradicts people who have academic credentials that he couldn't hold a candle to. And yet it's Biden who gets labeled as the gaff guy. Uh, is it just uh, marketing in a sense, political marketing? Yes, and, and Donald Trump is a very different kind of candidate, unlike any candidate we've ever seen before, unlike any president we've ever seen before. And that's part of his appeal to so many Americans is that he is that different kind of candidate. Now, the question as he runs for re-election is, is that going to matter to people in a different way? I mean, Donald Trump was an unknown. He had never run for political office before in 2016. So nobody quite knew exactly how Donald Trump was going to act and serve as president of the United States. Well, now we know, and for better or for worse. And he's going to have to stand up in this debate and talk about his record, not about his aspirations so much. And that's why this is going to be a very different debate at its core, is because we're not talking about two candidates running for president who aren't president of the United States at that time. We're talking about two candidates, one of whom is president and the other one who's trying to topple the king, so to speak. And that's a very, very different dynamic. And that's going to be a very different dynamic for Donald Trump, who hasn't really done a whole lot of debate prep, uh, a lot less than Joe Biden, and is really going to rely on the fact that his debate prep uh, is effectively the last three and a half years of him being president. That's his debate prep, being president. So he's going to live or die, uh, politically speaking, so to speak, on his presidency. And that's what's really going to be among all the issues at, at the, the central focus of this debate in a way is whether Donald Trump has done a good job or not done a good job and whether Joe Biden would do a better job or, or not so much. Interesting that Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, is prepping Trump, according to reports. Have you heard that, too, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so a few people who have been involved, Chris Christie, very much there. Uh, Jason Miller, who's a top aide uh, for Donald Trump and has been on his team, has also been very closely involved. So it's a much smaller, more intimate group of people who are close confidants of Donald Trump, where Joe Biden has had a much more sprawling team, if you will. Bob Bauer, who's a, a big-time Democratic lawyer, has been playing the role, reportedly, of Donald Trump uh, for Joe Biden in his debate prep. So, yeah, different strategies, different styles, different types of prep. But one stage, two candidates, and a whole big lot of action coming on Tuesday when we have this first debate. Dave, Bills game. Who wins? Going to go Bills 27, Rams 24. Ah. Ooh, so, another nail biter. So you're taking the over. I, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about gambling. I'm <laughs> flip Bills. Well, it'll be nice. It'll be nice to start three and zero and head out to 
Las Vegas for a 425 spotlight game. Dave Leventhal from Business Insider, always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot the next five weeks. I, I hope so, and go Bills. Go Bills. Thank da- you so much, Dave. Dave Joe, Levin- you know, I wish we had a little more time with Dave because I'd love to talk to him about the what I think will be the real debate based on issues, which I think will be Mike Pence versus Kamala Harris. I think, you know, the Trump and Biden thing, there's so many different dimensions to it, but I think the issue debate will be the two VP candidates. So and, and we'll two have to people, get into that another time. Two people whose policies couldn't be further apart. That's for sure. When we come back, we have Buffalo Councilman Joel Farrelletto to talk about his battle with COVID-19, amongst other things going on, the Buffalo Common Council. All that and more, it's Hardline on News Radio 930 WB. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome back to the last half hour of Hardline on a PAC show today. And uh, we will keep you informed right up until Election Day and, of course, after with everything that's happening in the world of politics and government and uh, current events. And we welcome to the airwaves uh, for a return appearance, Common Council Member Joel Farrelletto. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. It's good to have you back on board. And uh, uh, first of all, I have to ask you how you're feeling. I understand that you're battling the COVID virus. Yes, I'm doing okay. Um, What was odd to me is that I I never really had a temperature, and I would take my temperature every single day. But um, the biggest thing that I've noticed is my loss of taste and my loss of smell, um, which is certainly very weird because it's something that I've never experienced before. It's got to be very difficult, especially uh, if you're like me and love to eat. I mean, it must be strange just to sit down and have a meal and not be able to taste or smell anything. It is, especially um, when I'm cooking. Last night I was cooking on the stove. I heated up some garlic and olive oil, and I couldn't smell the garlic. So I, I knew that my smell was still gone. Uh, Joel, how did uh, how were you diagnosed? And, and uh, other than the, the loss of taste and smell, were you feeling any other of the classic symptoms that we often hear about? So I wasn't, I didn't have the, the fever, which is what surprised me the most because a lot of things I was reading was most people have fevers. So I went to I went to the New York State testing site, which is next to the hockey arena downtown. And I have to say, they make it very easy to get tested. I pulled in in my car. I stayed in my car the whole time, and I was in and out in 10 minutes, and I had my results um, the following evening. So that's how I was tested, and I just encourage anyone to go get tested. It, they do make it very easy and very convenient to get done. 
Now, Joel, without saying names, do you know anyone who had COVID? Do you know how you got COVID or was this community spread? I'm not 100% sure how I got it because there's, I've, I've read up on a, a lot of different things about COVID. And some people start to show symptoms as early as two days. Some people show symptoms up to 14 days with the majority of people in five days. So I don't, I could have gotten it any time between, uh, between a two week period. And there's, there's just really no way of pinpointing exactly where that could have been. And during that two weeks, now, I understand that you had taken a hundred mile bike ride and you attributed your fatigue to, uh, you know, a pretty rigorous <laughs> bike uh, outing that you had with one of your fellow common council members. I did. Council member Wingo and I did a hundred mile bike tour of Chautauqua County. It's an organized ride. And um, after that ride, I certainly appreciate the term rolling hills. <laughs> because we we're certainly going up and down a lot of rolling hills. But the day after the bike ride, the next day or two after, I had a sore throat and I had some body aches. And I just attributed that to the bike ride. And I think because I didn't have a temperature at all, I just assumed it was from the bike ride, but I think those could have been the, the first symptoms of COVID that I experienced. Well, we certainly hope you feel better soon, and uh, I know that you're working remotely. Uh, you're, you represent the Delaware District uh, on the Buffalo Common Council. How has the pandemic affected your day-to-day -day, uh, life in the legislature? Are you, you know, uh, trained to meet with constituents via Zoom or on the phone? How has it affected your life? So first of all, my staff has been doing an incredible job um, helping out and really stepping up during this period. But yeah, we've been, I've been meeting with people on Zoom. We've been having our council committee meetings on Zoom. And it's just been, it's been more working with technology and having meetings virtually instead of in-person meetings. So I'm, I'm confident to say that the, the district is still getting the representation that it would have and we're just we're really all working together and doing a great job and trying to help everyone out looking at your district what is something with the pandemic still going on that could help uh the struggling portions of your district so one thing i'm working on right now and i hope to have it resolved in the next couple of weeks is i'd like to help the small businesses especially restaurants have outdoor dining longer than what they currently do. So right now, restaurants cannot use propane lamps outdoors in the city of Buffalo. And in New York City, it was the exact same way. New York City just reserved, or they just reversed their, their position on it this week. And I'd like to see restaurants have, have propane lamps outdoors so they could extend the season, and if there's a, a mild day later in the fall or early in the spring, I want people to be able to sit outside, use the, have the heaters there to keep them warm, and get as much outdoor business as possible. What kind of response have you gotten, Joel? And how, I mean, here it is, uh, you know, we're, on the, we're at the end of September. Uh, the weather is going to cool down midweek and beyond. Uh, the time is of the essence, obviously. Uh, how soon can you make this happen for the restaurant owners who are hanging on sort of, uh, I think, by a thread in many cases? So we've, I've asked the Department of Permits and Inspections to have clear 
policy on this and a clear procedure for for restaurants to be able to do this by um, the first Tuesday in, in October. Ideally, we could have we I would have liked to have had done this before, but I think it's I think we could get there. We could do it, and like I said, New York City had the same policies as Buffalo, and they just changed their decision in the last week. So I'd like to see that change within the next week or two. Uh, we are talking with Councilmember Joel Ferraletto representing the Delaware District. And Joel, earlier um, this year, there were some uh, protests and violence outside of empty pockets. Uh, it has to be a huge concern for you to see people gathering like that and, and much of it turning ugly. What are you doing to ensure the safety of folks who uh, live in that area and also people who are patronizing the restaurants up and down the hurdle strip. Yeah. So this was the, the protest that we had on hurdle. Um, there was, there were three different ones and each one of them um, was relatively quick in that they, the protest lasted approximately an hour to an hour and a half. And there were no, there were no, damages to, to anyone's property. There was the terrible incident where two guys from a different county were there. One of them had a knife and that was certainly, that was a terrible situation, but hurdles doing hurdles, very safe, the neighborhood safe. We did have some incidents there, but we, or we did have some protests there. However, the, the business owners and residents are all coming together. Everyone's supporting local and helping each other out, and neighbors are helping neighbors. So it's really nice to see all the, all the positive things that are also happening. What do you think of the reforms proposed and the reforms that are going in place with the police department in the city of Buffalo? So the one thing that I, I, I believe the council should vote on it this Tuesday is the a duty to intervene law, which is be also being called Carriel's law. And that's a procedure that the Buffalo Police Department have in place, but it's not an actual law. So that requires a police officer, if they witness another officer using excessive force, then that officer would then have a duty to intervene. And that's Again, the Buffalo Police Department currently does this, but it's just a procedure. So if we have a different mayor or a different police commissioner, that procedure could certainly change. So the council is going to be voting on that this Tuesday to make that a law so it, so it won't be able to be changed under different leadership. You know, I know that stems from Carrie Horn, uh, Joel, and uh, who would have ever thought that you know, she would become such a public figure years after that incident happened with her? Uh, do you think that that lawsuit will prevail that she is uh, bringing against uh, the city? So I think that uh, in her incident with the city, that initially, I think that happened several years before I was on the council. But from my under, from my understanding, um, at this point, she may not have a claim against the city because of the statute of limitations component. However, um, the city law department would know much more about that. Well, I'm sure her name will continue to be uh, in the news uh, in the next uh, few months and if not next couple of years. And that brings me to a question too about 
the census, Joel. I know it's a very important thing to do because it, it much of it turns on uh, access to funds for various projects. And I noticed on your website that you talk about completing the, the 2020 census. Uh, why do you feel that it's so important? So it's very important to have an accurate count because a lot of the federal funds that are made available is based on the size of population. So if a city or area is undercounted, then they will lose out on significant money. So the Mayor Brown, uh, in speaking with him a few months ago on it, he, he estimated that the city of Buffalo was undercounted 10 years ago when it happened, and that likely resulted in the loss of several million dollars that the city would have received if it was an accurate count. Does it, does it look like we're getting better numbers? I saw yesterday, I was driving around uh, certain parts of the city and I saw, you know, tents uh, that had people doing the census, signs. It looks like there's a big push, a bigger push than I can remember for the census 10 years ago. Uh, does it look like that, that campaign is working? Yeah, I think the campaign's certainly helping. Um, overall, I believe the city of Buffalo is still only around like 51 or 52 percent of people have completed the census. I know in the Delaware district that I represent, it's the last I checked, it was in the 70s, approaching 80 percent. But we certainly need to, to have everyone fill it out. And with the pandemic, a lot of people might not be, they might not be outside, leave their house and go somewhere to fill it out. Or when the census taker comes to your house, people are likely more hesitant to open the door and talk to someone on their front porch because they're scared of the pandemic and having the close interactions with people. An another thing I saw, I saw a lot of people having uh, registered a vote around the city in your district as well. Uh, my question to you is, has anyone been asking or anyone been mentioning to you um, how the pandemic has slowed them down from uh, registering to vote, how the pandemic, how they were going to register, but you know, with the pandemic, they don't really want to go register in person. Has there been any talk like that? I haven't I haven't heard much of that, um, but the district the district that I represent is the most engaged and the the highest turnout of all districts in the city in terms of in terms of elections. So every election, whether you look at the the primaries or the general election, Delaware district um, always has the highest turnout. But there, it's certainly a possibility for some people. But I know that. Erie County Board of Elections has been trying to make it easier for people to register. Joel, it's uh, no secret that businesses have been hammered by the uh, impact of the pandemic. And uh, I, and when I think about the Delaware District, uh, your district is uh, just absolutely filled with small businesses up and down Hurdle Avenue, Elmwood Avenue, you know, other streets, of course, as well. Um, what are you hearing from business owners and are there certain applications they have to fill out because of the pandemic for social distance permits? So they, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from the business owners that times are very challenging, but they're all trying to be creative and they're, they're trying to make it work. And one bright spot is um, I've seen actual, some new businesses opening during the pandemic and there's one uh, it's called the Cereal Spot on Hurdle Avenue, which just opened within the past week. And I've, I've heard there's lines to get in, and that's very popular. And another restaurateur, uh, Mike Schatzel, is opening a restaurant on Hurdle. So it's nice 
And it's good to see that people are still very positive about the street and they're still willing to open businesses because they think that they will be successful. But there are different, the state has different forms that restaurants and other businesses are supposed to be filling out. Um, and I, it's my understanding that all of the businesses have been complying. I haven't really heard any issues with that. Let me ask you, as someone who has COVID, and we see now in Florida where the restrictions have been statewide taken off of restaurants, uh, do you think in the next month or so it would be a smart idea to increase capacity if we can keep our numbers where they are right now? So I'm going to leave that up to the experts, but what I want to do is, like I was discussing earlier, is with the get the propane heaters and do everything in my power as a city council member to help these businesses. So those decisions you're talking about are ultimately made by the governor and New York state government. The city has nothing to do with that decision-making. So I just want to be able to help where I can and help where the city could and do everything we can to help these businesses. Joel, shifting gears uh, for a moment, in addition to being the, uh, the Delaware District Representative on the Common Council, you're also an attorney. And I wondered what you thought of uh, President Trump's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett and also what you thought about uh, the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was on the court for 27-some years and certainly had a huge impact uh, on people in all walks of life. Yeah, RBG was absolutely incredible, and I feel so fortunate that I was able to see her in person last year when she came to the University of Buffalo Law School and spoke. And it's actually an incredible story about how she even got there. She was personal friends with a UB, um, or with someone who's from Buffalo, and her and that gentleman went to undergraduate and law school together, and he personally asked her if she would come to Buffalo in the past couple of years. And he, she, she promised him that she would come to Buffalo. That gentleman unfortunately passed away, and she still came to Buffalo. Well, she was right after she had some of her treatment for her pancreatic cancer because she was honoring her commitment to her lifelong friend to come to Buffalo and speak at the university, which is just incredible. It really is. And you're speaking about Wayne Wisbaum, who uh, was the friend of hers from all those years back. And he, too, had a cancer battle. Unfortunately, as you point out, lost his battle before RBG came to Buffalo. And if I remember correctly, Joel, her visit to Buffalo was her first public appearance, uh, appearance after her uh, latest diagnosis. I mean, she battled cancer, I think, at least four times. So many people thought when that news broke, oh, there's no way she'll show up at UB. But sure enough, she did and spoke to a UB law class. She spoke at the, you know, at the event that night and uh, really held up her end of the bargain in a big way. Quite a remarkable woman in so many ways. And it, it leads me to ask you, I noticed the Common Council is is composed of all men. Do you think that Somebody like RBG will inspire women to get into political office and even at, at the level of the Common Council? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And in the, in the past, there have been women on the Buffalo Common Council. Right now, there are, there's nine men and there's no women. Um, however, I anticipate the next time the council has elections, there will be many qualified women that run, and it'll be great for the city of Buffalo to have more women serving in public office. 
Well, we certainly wish you well in your battle against the coronavirus. I hope you recover completely and uh, can start to enjoy some of that delicious food. So many great restaurants in your district. Uh, so, Joel, best wishes well, for uh, but, your, your recovery. Yes, best wishes, Joel. But before we let you go, uh, what's your prediction for the game today? I think the Bills are going to win by double digits and go Bills. All right. I like that I like prediction. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. Well, Joe, I certainly hope Joel is correct in that, uh, in that prediction. And uh, enjoy the game. Have a great time today. Enjoy the beautiful weather as well. Yes, you too, Brenda. Hopefully we're talking about a win uh, around 4 o'clock. And uh, let's do this again next week at 10 o'clock. Sounds like a plan. All Thanks right, we'll so see much you. to everybody. We'll see you then here on WBEN. Go Bills. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.